Bitch, you thirsty, please grab Sprite My crib's lurking, don't die tonight I just wanna dance with you, baby Just don't move too fast, I'm too crazy Man, down, down the avenue, get shady Take a nigga mind off that We can dip, fuck in the whip, slide right back In the function, one wrong word, start busting Put that down What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 223 of Two Black Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on all social media at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Nerds of Mischief collection, inspired by Loki. We got t-shirts, crewneck hoodies, stickers, mugs, and tote bags, so go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing a bunch of new releases, including The Vince Staples Show on Netflix and True Detective Night Country on HBO. On the movie side of things, we'll discuss the new Demon Slayer film and Ethan Cohen's road trip comedy, Drive Away Dolls. Plus, we'll recap the major winners from the SAG Awards this past weekend. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the new by television series to hit Prime Video, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm Jay. I'm John. Love and happiness. Banking card and marriage registration. Something that can make you do right. We're married. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're married. Make you do right. They didn't bring up that we'd be paired until the last interview. It's an old KGB tactic. You draw less attention as a couple. Very romantic. What is it that you two do? We're software and engineers. Administer single dose, no casualties. Ah! What? Ah! You think if the company hadn't matched you, you'd be compatible? You're like a sitting baby. underneath a shelter I made. Oh, I made this fire. Lord, I man, got you this I fish. Shelter, food, fire, water. No. Maybe. <clears throat> Work, life, romance. They're all part of the same project. You said you love me. Yeah, you did too. We're about to die. So you didn't mean it? No, I do. That's cool. a job it is not life and death See? <laughs> <laughs> you feel better now the series is created by francesca sloan and donald glover and it's also starring donald glover and maya erskine so mr and mrs smith this is um now the fourth adaptation 
of the Mr. and Mrs. Smith property into live action. The very first one was a 1941 film from Alfred Hitchcock. It's really his own only comedy that he ever made. Um, but it, it is quite different than I think the, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith property that most people know because there was a 1996 television show which mm. sort of turned the dynamic between the husband and the wife into a spy franchise. But then the most popular one, of course, is the 2005 Doug Lyman movie that starred Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, really at the height of their powers, the height of their popularity. And I <laughs> I think uh, for a lot of people, that movie was probably more well known for the uh, the the on screen chemistry, the the romance that was developing between those two, as opposed to the actual movie itself. Uh, nonetheless, it was a huge, successful smash hit, made ridiculous amounts of money. I think like over four hundred million dollars at the box office off of this property that was largely, I think, unknown to most audiences. Uh, but now here we are, fast forward about sixteen years later. Donald Glover and his producing partner from Atlanta, Francesca Sloan, decided to do a reimagining of this particular property. And uh, he's also starring in the show alongside Maya Erskine. So this show premiered a few weeks ago this past uh, a few weeks ago, excuse me, on Prime Video. Um, We're still waiting to see if it's going to be a multi-season thing, but it does seem and appear to be that Donald Glover and Francesca have ambitions to do more more seasons in the future if it's successful enough. But we got the first eight episodes of this first season that debuted on Prime Video. So uh, with all that out the way man i'll pass it over to you what do you think about mr and mrs smith yeah you know that original mr and mrs smith is the the firepower behind it is just so ridiculous like literally angelina jolie and brad pitt are like like you said they're they're at the top of their game there is just two all-powerful superstars um who are also simultaneously falling in love in real time make this big blockbuster movie man but the thing is about that film is uh, uh in in watching it of course it's very beloved but in watching it there, the dynamic between the two was more about, I think, the big action set pieces and in them as people and, and stars rather than the that actual movie fleshing out their relationship. You know what I mean? Like who they're supposed to, who who they really are individually, and what it means for them to actually uh, come together and and talk about the dynamics of their relationship. And I think you know this is this is that take that that Donald Glover and my Erskine are doing where. We actually are made to care about them as individuals first and then made to care about what kind of relationship um, they have in this crazy situation they find themselves in. Um, in, in, in uh, I, and overall, I enjoy it, man. I think uh, uh, one, one thing I want to note here is that Hiro Mirai came back <laughs> again, as he does in most Donald Glover projects, to direct a lot of these episodes. And you can feel it. And you can tell that he's back. Uh, a very frequent collaborator with Donald Glover. Almost everything he's made, uh, Hero has been a part of it. And uh, I, I, I can tell, and, and, and it feels good. It feels like I think the dynamic um, that I was looking for. I know up front, a lot of people were like, "Oh, what? It, what? It, they're not hot enough." You know, like that was like a big thing I kept hearing over and over. They're not hot enough. They're but. They 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 actually did the work, I think, to make a story that was sound and that felt good and that makes sense that, again, not only can contain the, the dynamic um, of of whatever this, again, prearranged marriage turned into lovers is a being, but they had cool action set pieces. <laughs> they had, you know, they had fun making it. They had fun episodes um, put together to 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 give us um uh, I think a, a quick and entertaining watch. Um, and I enjoyed it uh, for the most part. So, man, um, I, I, I really like uh, the the chemistry between the two, between Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. 
um, and I like the the situations they were put in in different episodes too. Things we just hadn't seen before. Um, in 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 things. Anyways, overall, I enjoyed myself. Um, and yeah, I, I, if this is the end, that's okay. Uh, like I enjoyed it for what it was, and if they continue to make it, I think that's okay too. I don't really feel either way. We'll have to see. But I like how funny it was. I like how it was shot. Um, I I, I like the action and um that was happening, and I like the emotion, and I think it was everything that I thought it was going to be, and and I got that. So yeah, I have I don't really have too many complaints. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but I think they did a really good job um conveying what I needed them to convey in this in this iteration. Uh, so that first uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith movie that came out in 2005, I'm a big fan of it. I love that movie. It's great. It's great to see the on-screen chemistry between Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. It was just, it's intense. It's electricity all throughout that movie. Um, but it does sort of take precedent, or at least the, the, the story and the development of the characters takes a backseat, and, and the precedent is more so placed on the action and really the steamy romance between those two, which for that particular time, totally fine. I have no yep. problems with that, and I think it still works. Like, it's still, you can still feel it between those two. Unfortunately, we know, you know, in real life, things have went south for those two in particular, but uh, be that as it may, coming into the show, I was skeptical because I just didn't understand the need for it necessarily, but once I saw the trailer and I saw that the angle they were taking was totally different than the movie, that's when I became intrigued because Whereas the 2005 movie, you have Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, who are both assassins, and they don't know that each other are assassins. They belong to these competing agencies. Here, we have Maya Erskine and, and Donald Glover, who are strangers, but this is a prearranged marriage. So they go into this agreement knowing exactly what they're getting into. They are joining this assassin company um, full of Smiths to take on these very dangerous missions. And so they know exactly the type of arrangement that they that they are embarking on. And, and, it, and it becomes really interesting because the whole show really focuses more on unpacking, I think, the the intimacies and the intricacies of marriage as opposed mm-hmm. to what it's like to be an assassin. Of course, you get all of that spy espionage stuff in this show because that that's really what the what the nature of of their relationship is based on. But the most interesting elements is to see how these two strangers do come together. And throughout the course of the show, we see how their bond strengthens. We see how they come closer together because of these really harrowing predicaments that they always end up in because they go on very dangerous missions. And then we can also see some of the things that start to chip away at them and and drive them further apart. A lot of the times, those things are often outside influences. They're not even things that are within their own marriage that they've arranged for each other. They're coming from their boss, who they don't have a clue who this person is. <laughs> it's coming from their agency. It's coming from other Smiths that that also mm-hmm. exist in this orga- organization. It's come from the people that they encounter on the on the various missions that they go on. And it, it, it's such a commentary just on how all of these outside influences, all of the people that are in your orbit, can truly affect a marriage. You know, and I think that that's a really, really interesting take and a really interesting look at how two people despite what they do for a living you can see how that that can start to really affect their their relationship and and on top of that all of this stress and all of this burden is heightened by the fact that their lives are consistently placed on the line all the time so that makes it really really interesting it, it creates a totally new dynamic um i think the chemistry between donald and maya worked out really really well um i was i was skeptical of those two in particular leading this this property it just didn't make sense to me but now that i saw how it was fleshed out i'm like oh yeah they work really re- well together just because of their personalities she's very cold and calculated and distant he's not that way 
um, and he obviously has has attachments to other people in his life, and that causes all sorts of issues, and and it, it becomes a really really interesting dynamic. And uh, I think another thing that I really really enjoy about the show is how they flesh out this world more than what we ever saw in any previous iterations. The fact that this is an underground assassin organization that's operating in the shadows, you know, it's very, very akin to John Wick. You know, there are other Mm -hmm. Smiths. They're not the only Smiths. They meet other Smiths in the show. They go on various missions where they're running into other assassins, other other would-be assassins. Whatever the case may be, they do a great job, I think, at, at really expanding the scope of what this world could be. And so if they do pursue other seasons, there's plenty that they can tap into and plenty that they can explore within future seasons and future stories that they tell. Um, but again, I think the best part of this really is the marriage aspect of it, focusing on that. Um, I, I will say that, you know, people going into this, knowing that that is sort of taking precedent over the spy action espionage set pieces, that 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 is something to just note that this is a very talky show. There's a mm-hmm. lot of conversations. It's a lot of dialogue. There, there's not as much action probably that you would even find in the film. Um, it certainly has some really, really cool set pieces. It is a globetrotting adventure. Um, also want to shout them out for going to real locations, traveling to different countries. Everything yeah. looked great. All of the stuff was filmed just extraordinarily well. Um, but it is very much focusing on the dialogue and the interaction between these two characters and just the, the, the moments that they're having with each other as this relationship unfolds and develops all throughout the show. So I think it's good. I think it's a very entertaining watch, um, especially if you're a fan of Donald Glover and his style. Um, you can see some of the some of the DNA of Atlanta, you know, flow over into the show, um, of course, with Hero back directing as well. But you can you can sense some of those Atlanta, those Atlanta threads being tied into the show. But just throw on a, a spy espionage hat over the top of it. And I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I do want to ask you, too, though, that th- this is a really star studded endeavor. There's a mm-hmm. lot of guest appearances that, that, that come through. Each episode, I think each episode is sort of dedicated to a new guest appearance. Um, you have people like Isaac Gonzalez and Paul Dano, Parker Posey, John Turturro, Ron Perlman. So many people show up pretty much in every mm-hmm. episode of this show. That's kind of the, the the nature of how it's constructed. Did you have a particular favorite guest appearance of, of, of a character that you saw come in and just, you know, sort of sh- show up for, for a brief bit of the story? Uh, Ron Perlman, man, uh, it was just kind of unexpected. And he's like he's in like the whole episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he really is a big part of the episode he's in and uh yeah it was just interesting to see him in that dynamic you know I'm, I'm used to seeing ron perlman on just such a uh you know like macho man the guy he plays is always you know the main i'm gonna whip your ass kind of guy and he was the opposite <laughs> of that this time uh he, he was literally supposed to show his age and so i i really liked uh the showing from ron perlman that's probably one of my favorites for sure he was really funny in that episode, too, uh, because he was often providing commentary on their relationship unfolding in real time. Mm-hmm. Like they had to drag this guy around and just take him from place to place. And this was kind of at the the inflection point where the relationship is starting to really crack at, at the particular time he shows up in the show. And uh, he can just kind of stand back as the older, wiser guy, but also the grumpy guy and just say like a bunch of shit to them and, <laughs> and really be at odds with them. So he was funny. Uh, I think my favorite was Sarah Paulson. I loved what she brought to mm-hmm, her episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a therapist. So they spend an entire episode in therapy. So I, I, I love any time a television show can just like really dive into that. Of course, Donald Glover, big fan of the Sopranos, you know, the Sopranos, that whole that whole show is kind of constructed around the idea of a of a mobster going to therapy. So this episode took took, you know, a good amount of time at, at, at sitting them down and really examining their problems, their their disconnect, um, you know, the, the 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 things that they're sort of often at odds with. And Sarah Paulson can just kind of sit back and be the therapist. But she has this weird lifestyle around her also like 
they don't really explore her character, but where she's at in her home and just the way she communicates says a lot about who she is. Mm-hmm. And I love how it ended that particular episode, the way that it ended, because it was it was quite a shocker, but it was really, really good stuff. But overall, really, really great. I think first outing for this show and uh, hopefully if it's successful enough, which I think it, it probably is, it's doing really well on Prime Video. Hopefully they can get future seasons. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. If you've checked out the series on Prime Video, hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said, we're going to move on and talk about another show that just recently premiered on Netflix, the brand new show from Vince Staples himself, The Vince Staples Show. I'm home. How was your day? I bailed you out last week. We ain't got no chicken for you, Vince. That was cool. Come on, Vince. Hey, cuz. Let me hold something, nephew. What's up with dude? Anything interesting happen? Lemon pepper? Certain actions require responses. Who the fuck is Vince Staples? (laughs) Not really. These motherfuckers ain't got no taste. No taste. Culture yourselves. Now, this series is, of course, created by Vince Staples, Ian Edelman, and Maurice Williams, and it's all episodes are directed by William Stephen Smith and Ben Younger, and obviously it is starring Vince Staples himself. And so uh, this show just came out a couple of weeks ago on Netflix. Very, very brief endeavor. Five episodes, um, all about a half hour piece, if that really, maybe even 20, closer to 20 minutes. Um, But this is sort of adapting an experiment that he's tried. He's done a Vince Staples show on YouTube numerous times. And so this is now sort of transitioning that property into, I think, a proper streaming property and potentially creating what might be a new reoccurring show that's still yet that's still, you know, sort of determined or, or remains to be seen as to whether or not they're going to continue with the show. Uh, Netflix and Vince Staples are kind of currently deeming it as a limited series. Um, I think that they're kind of playing their cards close to the vest just based on the performance of the show. But I feel like if it, if it is successful, if enough people watch it, we probably will get future iterations of this. But be that as it may, five episodes have dropped to really kind of provide a glimpse into the life of Vince Staples um, or a fictionalized version of himself at mm-hmm. least. That, that's a very important aspect because that's like the opening title card. But uh, what did you think about these 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 five episodes of the Vince Staples show and the, and the story that they gave us? Yeah, man. Vince Staples is he's just one of my favorite people. Uh, if you ever watch him talk about anything, it's always both funny and probably informing. That's what makes him so cool. He's like one of the smartest dudes walking to me. Uh, and you know, this show really feels like what is the surreal version of his life or experiences that he's gone through and, and looking through the lens of him that also encompasses other, other, I think, uh, uh, nuances of blackness, right? Other experiences that it seems like we might share or go through, but again, through, through, through his lens, uh, as somebody who has grown up in Long Beach, California, not a safe place, <laughs> not a, not a very safe place. And so, I enjoyed it, man. Um, there, I, I didn't laugh at everything, but also I enjoyed everything. If that makes sense, uh, and he, he, I remember he did an interview actually where he was like, "If you actually watch the show, nobody is ever really telling a joke. Like you might be laughing, like us as the audience may be laughing, but he said himself, he was like nobody's really telling the joke. Like a lot of this 
really is dark humor again based probably off of uh, 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 some exaggerated of course but somewhat some kind of real experience and so um, I, I found myself having a good time with the show man um, I, I, I did laugh I think where I feel like I should laugh myself but there's a lot of there's a lot of times in the show where something happens or there's an experience and I go yeah I have been through something like that before I have felt that before or, or or at least seen that before or that makes sense to me um from again from 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 that uh that sort of glaze or from that sort of gaze um and so man i i i had a good time with it uh it was just too short i was like dang five episodes but um he he's campaigning he's 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 trying to get that second season which i think he'll get i'm not really worried about it but i, I love the, the the energy that the show takes i love the style that the show takes he said he was talking to both Quinta and Donald Glover <laughs> in the making of the show and you can see that I think in the show kind of some advice he was getting from those two in particular but man I, I I'm just looking for more episodes at this point um and and yeah I I think he'll get them but yeah Vince Staples he's on to something man I really appreciate the trajectory that he's on because he's clearly taking this acting thing pretty serious. I mean, he was on Abbott Elementary for mm -hmm. a lot of episodes last season. And so this transition now into his own show on Netflix, which, again, is, you know, sort of taking the, the skit that he produced for YouTube a, a few years ago and now blowing it out into a full fledged story or at least five sort of isolated episodes. Um, it's a really bold yet really creative and I think ingenious endeavor on his part just because of who he is as an artist, because Vince Staples isn't like the most famous guy in the world. Like yeah. he could still probably go outside and be just normal and not recognized by a good chunk of people. You know, he's sort of still at that at, at that point, I think, in his career where and, and they talk about this in the show where there, there's kind of a there's kind of a um, not a nothingness, but just a, a the the idea that he's he's somewhat obscure because he's not the most well-known rapper. He's not the most well-known artist. And I, and I think that that's like something that works particularly well in his favor, because I don't know if I get the sense whether or not this is like a true thing or not, but it feels like he's less interested in music and wants to pursue more of this, this acting sort of entertainment, you know, sort of things that, that, that he's doing lately. And I think that he can sort of be reflective about his music career and the fame that he has accrued up until this point. And we mm -hmm. see that take shape in all these different episodes and just the weird offbeat scenarios that he ends up in. Like, it's just it, it's ridiculous situations that he finds himself in on on an episode by episode basis. Um, you know, somebody on Letterboxd said it really brilliantly. It's curb your enthusiasm in Long Beach. And I thought that that was just so <laughs> that was so appropriate because it's like, yeah. how do you end up in this situation, dude? Like, how how are you here right now? Especially a, a guy at your level. You shouldn't be in this type of situation. But it's funny. You know, I, I think it's the type of funny where you look at certain things and it's awkward funny or it's like, I can't believe what I just witnessed funny. It's not necessarily, you know, hold, hold my breath. I can't breathe type of funny. Like I'm not mm -hmm. necessarily clutching my stomach, so to say. But almost everything that I saw was like, yo, that that's actually kind of crazy that that just happened. Um, you, you got an episode where we're searching for chicken in an amusement park. Um, of course, there's like a bank heist robbery that happens, which is also just like wild and random. There's so many scenarios where it's like, dude, you should not be here. He also gets locked up in the very first episode and you have to see him navigate that 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 little bit of fame that he does have in an environment where he should not be at all. Like he should be very much removed from this. But because of his past and because of his upbringing and just like the different scenarios that have played out up until this point, he's ended up in this really uh, precarious position. So it was really good. I liked it. Um, it. It is just really, really short. I think uh, five episodes is just such a it's such a tease. I, I do appreciate the fact that they set out to make 
every episode its own individual thing. Like you could really just mm-hmm. dive into this at any point. You don't have to watch it in order. Um, although I don't know why you wouldn't, but if you wanted to just watch episode four on your own, you could do that and just not watch anything else. It's not like yeah. this long, serialized, interconnected story. I think we need more of that stuff. Like I think we need more of these mm-hmm. low stakes shows that just don't require really much of you. Um, I just watched yeah. Quinta Brunson on Hot Ones and she talked about how the best sitcoms that she enjoys the most are the ones that just don't require too much of you. They're 22 exactly. minutes. You watch them like right before you go to sleep and you don't have to think too much about them. You know, often these hour-long dramas uh, that, that we experience in the TV prestige era, um, sometimes if, if it's good, if it's good enough at least, you might be drained after watching it. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a lot. Um, this is a great experience where it does not have to feel that way. You can just watch it so casually you could be doing something else and still fully enjoy it like i I actually think that it works perfectly as background watching something Mm -hmm. something that you could do while you're doing something else i think it works perfectly that way too so um overall kudos to vince staples kudos to his team in developing this and uh hopefully they do get a renewal and and, and can take this further but we will certainly have to see but folks those are all of our thoughts on the brand new show the vince staples show on netflix if you've checked this out hit us up and let us know what you think And with that being said, we're going to transition to another show, the recently concluded fourth entry into the True Detective franchise, True Detective Night Country. The Night Country takes us one by one. What happened in the last case you worked with tomorrow? That was good. Until it wasn't. They were too late. There was nothing we could do. I'm working on this new case. A missing scientist. Found on the edge of the villages. Frozen solid. What do you want? It's been six years. Why are you here? Because we both know what really happened. I need my help. I've seen that before. Years ago. Fine. I'm just gonna do this one thing. Work together to close this case. That's it for the two of us. It is. So, you want in or what? Burnt eyeballs, self-inflicted wounds. Those men died before they froze. What the? Get out of here, now! You okay? She's not good with people she cares about. What are we missing here? With someone out there on the ice with them? The night country. It takes us one by one. This isn't gonna be good. I'm thinking stuff. Bad stuff. I know. I feel too. I guess you're thinking. The worst part is done. It's not. Finish what you started. Now, this season was created by Issa Lopez. All episodes were written and directed by Issa Lopez, and it's starring Jodie Foster and Callie Rice. Um, Now, True Detective 
it is uh it is one of the more formidable HBO shows of the past decade. You know, the first season of 2014 was really successful from a critical standpoint. It ended up on many critics best of lists of that particular year. Many regarded it as one of the best TV shows of 2014. And ultimately, I think, you know, in hindsight, many people regard it as one of the best television shows of the TV prestige era, really of the past 25 years. Um, I would certainly agree with that. The subsequent seasons, however, have have provided, I, I would say, at best, a divisive reaction. Um, I've, I've watched every entry of True Detective. Season mm-hmm. two, isn't great. Um, definitely a step down. Season three, a little bit of a step up, but didn't reach the heights of, of season one for me. But Mahershala Ali was was pretty excellent in that particular entry. And now we're a full, I think, maybe five years removed from that last entry of True Detective, maybe even six years. It's been a while since it's been on the air. Um, and of course, Jodie Foster, lots of star power coming back to star in this in this show. It's been very much anticipated, very much, you know, sort of talked about for the past year that they've been uh, really promoting and marketing this show. Um, I got a chance to check out all six episodes of this new entry. Before I dive in, though, uh, what's your relationship with True Detective? You know, what are your thoughts on, you know, this season, you know, what they've tried to do or even just like previous iterations of the show? And how, how are you overall, you know, sort of your, your how, how has your relationship developed with the show over the, over the course of the past few years? Yeah, it's, it's one of those shows that you just know. It's, you know, HBO always has multiple shows that's like bangers at a time. <laughs> you know what I mean? True Detective has just always been one of those, I think, reoccurring ones um, that that I've watched and, and, and known about. So I, I've also seen the first three seasons. Um, I haven't checked, uh, checked caught the, the fourth season yet, man. But it's 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 always been like a show I just know I'm going to watch. Um, it's, it's it's not a big overhaul. It's always eight, those eight episodes. Um, it's, it's never anything too crazy. But I always appreciate, I think, the 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 detective work that they bring to the table um, in 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 the spirit of HBO, of the spirit of these one hour, really dramatized um, um, kind of de- detective stories, man. And, and, and uh, I, I kind of feel similar to you. Of course, that first season, you know, was a banger. Uh, second season, yeah, it is what it is. And third season, Mahershala is <laughs> Mahershala, you know what I mean? And so I have a, I have a very similar uh, similar take on the seasons in that way as well but man it's it's always been kind of a mainstay for hbo uh and uh and and, and hopefully it, it it will be even after season four but um I'm, I'm still excited to watch season four uh i know it's shorter than the others right i think it's only like six episodes if i seen right um uh but yeah excited to get into it man but yeah excited to hear your thoughts yeah, you know, um, I, I was looking forward to this a lot, uh, just because the, the the chatter around the show before it came out, cr- critics got to see. I think all all six episodes before it debuted, um, there was a lot of praise, a lot of a lot of anticipation, a lot of praise for what this this new entry brought. Many were saying it, it was the best installment since the the original season. Um, so I was very much looking forward to it because of that and because of Jodie Foster. She's extraordinary, obviously. Mm. And um, you know, I watched it week to week. Uh, and and I got to be honest, I was disappointed by it. It, it did not match the high of what I wanted it to be, or at least what my perception of it would be. Um, it, it certainly has its high points. It has its its moments that, that definitely gripped me. Um, I think what does work is the fact that it does try to really get back to the spirit of what the first season with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson achieve with that. Um, mm-hmm. You obviously get this this pairing of these these two very opposite detectives, you know, who have to come together and work together and and overcome their differences. Um, there's there's the, the the looming threat of the occult out there. There's some potential supernatural 
implications, some Lovecraftian implications, all that stuff that made True Detective so singular and unique when it came out that they really lean into. Um, they even go as far in this in this new installment to to make some direct callbacks to the first season, some direct tie-ins, you know, and uh, that was one thing that I was, like, excited to see, like, where it would go. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't really go anywhere. I think that they just kind of, like, introduce these elements and don't really pay them off in any significant way. And I think for me, it just didn't really, it didn't really amount to a worthwhile, truly satisfying experience. I, I think what does work is the acting across the board is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, tr- uh, Jodie Foster, of course, is, is, is exceptional. And she's, she's playing, uh, I think what's interesting is that she's kind of playing a version of Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. Like there's, hmm. there's definitely an homage to that character. Okay. And I really, really like that. Uh, but really, I think the the revelation here is Callie Rice, um, who plays you know sort of her her partner in the show. She's phenomenal. I, I hadn't really seen her in anything before, I don't believe, and so she comes in as a as a, as a character that that's meant to be diametrically opposed to to the character that Jodie Foster is playing. And so to see them play off of each other throughout the course of the six episodes was really good. And I will give them credit and Issa Lopez in particular for fleshing out the lives of of these characters as well like outside of their detective work i think that that's one thing that the other entries don't really do um a lot of what true detective has been about has been the obsession with the crime the obsession with solving the mystery or the murder that's at hand or the or the or or whatever whatever's taking shape um this one does take it a step further to really try to unpack and examine their personal lives and some of that stuff i really enjoyed um but i do think that that potentially sacrifice the really interesting elements of what could have been there from a from a true crime detective sort of mystery and uh what i also will say is that i found that watching this on a week-to-week basis might not have been the most optimal way to watch this because i I think a lot of the praise that's come from critics are coming from critics who got to binge it all at once and see Mm. the ending um you know pretty much as soon as they started it whereas on a week-to-week basis you know as we're watching it as audience members we have to wait and for the conclusion and what they did with the finale it didn't really feel all that worth it it didn't feel truly satisfying it kind of felt it kind of felt, I think, anticlimactic, um, especially when you invest six weeks into a, a serialized crime drama. Um, but th- that, that just might be the nature of these types of shows. I mean, anybody who watches any serialized t- sort of crime drama, you probably have to deal with this that, hey, maybe the ending and the payoff to this big unraveling mystery isn't really going to be worth it. I mean, we got to be honest, like the first season of True Detective is great, but I'm not a fan of the ending. And I don't think many people are mm-hmm. like the ending kind of botched. Yeah. A lot of the show that doesn't take away from all of the extraordinary stuff that they achieved in the previous seven episodes. But that final that final mm-hmm. episode was a little underwhelming. And this is this is not all that different. But even even beyond the final episode, the whole experience for me wasn't wasn't as satisfying as I wanted it to be. So I kind of walked away a little bit disappointed, um, oftentimes confused as well. Like I wasn't I wasn't even totally clear and totally aware of what was happening at every single moment. It was it was a little confusing at points. And so maybe one day I'll revisit it and be able to binge it. And, and hopefully that creates a, a better viewing experience. But as, as the way that I watched it, as the way that most people watched it, um, it, kind, it kind of fell flat for me, unfortunately. Um, what, what is really interesting, though, about this is that prior to the season, True Detective at HBO was... It, it was it was definitely in a state of uh, confusion and, and potentially peril. Um, I think that they were very concerned about the direction and the future of the show. The first three seasons, while they are you know considered prestige TV and have, and have often been acclaimed as, as great dramas, um, not a ton of people watch True Detective. It's not like the most watched thing ever. And I think coming into the season, they wanted to do a really hard creative reset 
on what the future and the direction of the show might be. And so a lot really rode on this season and the success of the season. Um, and it turned out that Night Country is the most watched True Detective season thus far. The season finale was the most watched episode of any episode in this season. And they immediately renewed it for season five. And also, in addition to that, they went so far as to kind of change direction in the course of the show because Issa Lopez is stepping in and, and, and sort of replacing um, Nick Pizzolatto, who created the original True Detective and also directed and wrote on the subsequent second and third seasons. And so mm-hmm. they, they have shifted gears quite a lot. Um, but that's also created this really weird Internet discourse that's happening. Um, Nick Pizzolatto has been on Instagram a lot throughout the course of the season, um, sort of bashing just the direction of it and, 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 and removing any blame that can be placed on criticism, you know, saying that he's not involved at all. He's reposted very negative comments from people who've watched the show. Um, some, some, some of it may deem it as misogynistic, you know, because a lot mm. of the commentary comes from just mostly men. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and Issa Lopez has taken this in strides and she's been really graceful. She hasn't said anything that I think it's out of pocket, but Nick Pizzolatto, he's, uh, he's kind of, he's kind of taking the low road if I'm being honest with you. Um, but you know, what do you think about just like that, that dynamic, like the fact that that's like a whole conversation piece around the show. And in, in, in spite of that, really, it didn't deter away from any of the success because people still watch it. And now we're going to get future iterations of it from Issa Lopez herself who's going to lead the next installment. Wow, that's uh that I didn't know any of that and that's pretty crazy. Um maybe yeah, yeah, no. I it, it kind of sucks that he's taking I think the low road, you know, in that way. Um it, it seems like he's upset beyond just that, right? It seems like, you know, maybe he 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 wanted to do more with this true detective thing or he didn't want to be associated with the bad true detective thing. <laughs> you know, he's like, "Look y'all, this is not me." And I understand that point of view but i think to continue to hammer it on the head and and kind of uh uh continue continue down the path of 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 you know uh again just it's just too much <laughs> i think that's the way it was, it's just too much um and, and, and so i wish i wish he, he wasn't doing all that but i i think at the end of the day man it's it's, it's we got to look forward to to more <laughs> to more seasons of true detective and hoping that it gets better um and maybe Maybe uh, maybe they'll give him another shot at another season one day. But until then, man, this, you just got to let it go. You got to take it. Sometimes you got to take the L in peace, bro. <laughs> just oh, let it go. I, I doubt they give him any chance. I, I, I can't see that happening with what he's done. But the, the, the weird thing is, is that he's still an executive producer on the show, um, which doesn't mean really anything. All that it means mm-hmm. is that he's getting paid. You know, he's, he's still getting paid for, for what's coming That's out. True. Um, so it's kind of just. I don't know. It's an interesting stance to take to like publicly bash something, and and you you're still getting checks, you know, from that very from property that that, that, that you created. Um, and Matthew McConaughey and 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 Woody Harrelson are also still getting paid, but they're quiet. Like they like why say anything? It's it's passive income at this point. Like you're just making money mm-hmm. off of something that was very very monumental when it came out, and now it just has new life, and it's going to continue. Um, and you think that somebody would be proud of it, even if they don't agree with the direction of where it's going. Um, but but he's certainly not taking that stance. He he is absolutely trying to remove himself from any conversation related to night country but i think ultimately for me I, i'm i'm happy even despite how i feel about the season and it's just my personal feelings like most people love this season most mm-hmm. people think that is great but me personally it didn't work but even despite that i'm just glad that true detective as a franchise will continue for hbo i think it's important that we still have yeah. this continue because of what it's done for for all these years and the fact that it is like a mainstay now it, it is one of their big brands and now 
you know, it can be considered maybe one of their more popular brands since since more people did watch this show. So I'm just glad that they're going to get another another chance at it and do an additional season with Isa Lopez. And hopefully she can, you know, come back and do something again that's really creative and interesting and, and worthwhile with watching. But we'll certainly have to see. Uh, but, folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new True Detective season Night Country. If you've checked this out on HBO, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to move on and talk about a brand new anime film that just debuted in theaters, the latest Demon Slayer movie, Hashira Training. Now, this movie is directed by Hiroo Sotozaki, and I'm not going to try to pronounce the actor's names. I'm just going to go ahead and bypass that right now. <laughs> but this is the third film adaptation uh, for Demon Slayer that's hit theaters. Um, they recently had a movie that came out last year in theaters last February, I think this exact same weekend. Um, and before that, in 2020, the first Demon Slayer film hit theaters really kind of in the middle of the COVID pandemic and went absolutely ridiculous it ended up being <laughs> the highest grossing movie of that year period not just in america not just in japan period it made over 500 million dollars in a time where people were just not going to the movies um and not only that it's the highest grossing japanese animated movie or excuse me not even animated movie it's the highest grossing japanese movie ever like forget animated it's the highest grossing japanese film ever in that country and worldwide and so huge successful franchise for them of course coming from the manga and the television show but now they are you know sort of transitioning into doing more um theatrically released films or at least movies that are made for theaters and so i know you got a chance to go check this out this past weekend so with all that out the way i'll pass it over to you what did you think about this uh, brand new demon slayer film yeah, man, UFO Table, uh, the 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 animation studio behind Demon Slayer, man, they are just the way they animate is crazy. Like, if you watch an episode of Demon Slayer, it does feel like I should be watching it watching it in a the movie theater. That's how crazy it looks. I still can't believe it. Like, when every episode comes out, I'm like, y'all really did this? Like, it it, it blows my mind. Um, an interesting thing about Demon Slayer too is they very actively chop their shows into arcs like uh, other shows of course do that with seasons and stuff but demon slayer is legit like no this is the swordsmith arc like they'll literally put arc in the name of the of the season or the movie everybody doesn't do that right it's just attack on titan season one it's just attack on titan season two they don't they don't they don't do it in arc so it's a very interesting way to go about it 
um in this this film in particular Hashira training arc is just okay and in 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 some ways a little disappointing the movie you just talked about Mugen Train was genius because it kind of followed the formula that we've been talking about on the show for a very long time it was like oh the anime has come to a certain point now it's time for a movie right again i still wish more movies tv or tv shows that we watch did this where like they made a, a part of the story a huge going to the movies uh uh event that's what made mugen train so big the reason this this doesn't follow the same formula um in fact half of the movie is like the last two episodes of the last season i didn't know it was going to be like that and this movie is it's like an hour 50 so the first like hour in the theater i'm over here like everybody's looking around like we all already seen this right <laughs> like we all already watched this and it, it was a very i think yeah it, it was a frustrating experience um because i i i expected it to be closer to that Mugen Train experience where none of this had come, really come out before. It's its own thing. It's a whole complete arc. This isn't that. This is like the last two episodes of last season and the first ep episode and a half of the next season. That's kind of what this is. And it's not really a complete full story, if that makes sense. Um, and so it, it, it was disappointing in that way. I think the new stuff uh, that I was able to see, it was fine. But also... If I had known it was this, I kind of just would have waited until the new season came out on Crunchyroll. You know what I mean? And so um, that's kind of where I left with it. Still, it was still good to see this crazy, ridiculous animation from Ufo Table, Ufo Table on the big screen. It looks phenomenal. But story-wise, uh, just wait until it comes out on Crunchyroll because you're not really missing out on anything, to be honest. So I'm still excited for the arc to come. It's going to be amazing. This is the arc before the very last arc. This show is coming to an end very soon, but I'd say save your coins um, if, if you're a Demon Slayer fan. I don't want to assume the worst of, you know, the production team and, and their intentions here, but does, does it just feel like a cash grab? Because that's an interesting change, you know, to sort of like go in the format of showing stuff that's already premiered technically. And let's just give them a little bit of a tease of what's to come. But again, mm -hmm. if you're already watching the television show and it's going to come out probably in a few months on Crunchyroll anyway, like I can just wait. I, I wouldn't want to spend the extra money necessarily just to see it on a big screen. So did, did it kind of feel like a cash grab moment on the part of the, of the studio? Yeah, for sure. Um, versus, uh, again, what made Mugen Train so different is it did come out in the anime later, but everything you were watching was a brand new, full, complete story. And in 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 here it was like, hey, oh, are we doing it again? Uh, I I didn't see the movie in between there. There was a movie that you said that came out last year. It's in between Mugen Train and this one. I didn't see that one. I'm hearing maybe that one was kind of like this one, where like it was like the end of last one beginning of the new one kind of type thing which i think they are kind of cash grab i think they seen what mugen train was but maybe they didn't understand what made it what it was supposed to what made mugen train what it was and they're and now they're like having this weird release schedule and what, and what they're doing so maybe i hope somebody tells them and they get it together but it's definitely feeling like a cash grab because there was a lot of fans in there and i think we all had the same idea that this would be all new content and at the, man they had buckets they had i bought the bucket you know i bought i bought the bucket so yeah they had buckets and cups and definitely feel like they they were they were out to make some money because they knew they knew they could and they knew their fan base was loyal yeah i think um 
That's interesting because if you do look at Mugen Train and you know what I talked about, how much money it made, um, the subsequent two have not made anywhere near the levels of money that Mugen Train has made. And I think mm-hmm. that people are starting to become hip like, oh, this isn't really a completely new original story that we haven't seen before. This is kind of chopping together stuff that's already been presented with sprinkling in a little bit of new things. And so um, it's a little bit of money, but it's certainly not matching the heights of what they got a few years ago. So it's interesting. But that, you know, doesn't take away from the success. I mean, it still came in at number two at the box office, which, you know, I don't know what that says about people. Like, I don't know if people didn't know that it was going to be like a similar situation. Like if they just didn't know that it was going to be like presenting stuff that you guys have already watched or... Maybe there's like a group of people out there who would rather watch like TV episodes that they've already seen as opposed to like American made movies that are coming out. That that could also be a thing, too, which would <laughs> That's be true. It would kind of be the funniest thing ever. Like, oh, I'd, I would rather watch some shit that I've already seen as opposed to go see. I don't know, fucking uh, uh, ordinary people or Bob Marley or some something that, 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 that's Argyle. out. Yeah, Argyle, <laughs> something that's out there right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, if they continue to do this in the future or if they might shift directions uh, with any future theatrical installments. But we will have to see. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new Demon Slayer film, Hashira Training. If you check it out, hit us up and let us know what you think. We're going to move on and talk about our next movie, a brand new film from one of the most acclaimed directors, at least one of one half of the most acclaimed directing duos of all time, Ethan Cohen. His brand new film, Drive Away Dolls. The case, Santos. Not on your life. So we are gonna salt you up. I've had it with love. I don't believe it's relevant to the 21st century lesbian. You're not wearing that. I just came from work. I came from Toledo. I don't dress like it. I'm not here to peddle my wares. I'm leaving town. I am too. That was my plan. Where are you going? Tallahassee, Florida. I've been unhappy. That's why we take this trip together, honey babe. We get our act together together. Curly's Drive Away, Pennsylvania's most trusted name in car delivery. Curly here. Don't call me Curly. And your name Curly? My name is Curly. We just met. It's too familiar. We're here from the car. Wait a minute. You call with a drop-off in Tallahassee, and then these broads come in and say they're ready to go to Tallahassee. They drive the car instead of you. Is that bad? Bad if they find the goods. What? We should see what's in here. I bet it's locked. I understand that you're unhappy, sir. We will find and deliver the package. We just want your friends. You cannot relate to the public, which in the service profession is a big handicap. Did the two creeps find you? They know we have their stuff. Maybe we sell it back. Shake them down. Are they like wanted or something? Oh, no. They're not in trouble at all. I'm going to help you break a big murder case. That is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm a cop. Who are you? Democrats. Wow, you've had a full day. I'm 
Now, this movie is directed by Ethan Cohen. It's written by Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook, and it's starring Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan. Um, so, the Cohen brothers, one of the greatest pair of directors that I think we've ever gotten. Uh, mm-hmm. From 1984 to 2018, they collaborated and made 18 damn near stellar films time and time Haters. again. Um, and, and, and since then, they have kind of parted ways to do some other projects. Uh, Joel Cohen, a couple of years ago, did the tragedy of Macbeth with his wife, Frances McDormand, and also Denzel Washington for Apple TV+. And now his brother, Ethan Cohen, this is his first solo directorial debut with Driveaway Dolls. Uh, but this is also a partnership, I would say. It's not It's not really just him. It's it's him and his mm-hmm. wife, Trisha Cook, uh, because she helped write this script, and they've been married for, for a really, really long time now. Um, and they've also been developing the story for quite a while. This this movie actually had its had its initial development in the in the early two thousands, years and years ago. But it's just now that they were able to really make this movie, have it come to fruition, and have it release in theaters over this past weekend. But it's an interesting time and place for the Cohen brothers because they are pursuing other opportunities and other avenues outside of their their own direct partnership. But rumors are out there that they're going to work together again really soon. I read an article that they're writing something as we speak, and so they probably won't be separated for long. But after twenty eighteen, with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, they've now taken in two separate paths and, and, and have done individual projects but uh we got a chance to check out driveway dolls this past weekend and so uh, all that out the way man i will pass it over to you what did you think about this brand new film from ethan cohen it was okay um it, it was just okay i think i think this is this is one of those times where mid is the appropriate answer like it was literally cut pretty mid it was in the middle of everything it wasn't a terrible film but i wouldn't necessarily go and call it good either it was quite simply okay and i think above all disappointing um i was doing some rewatches before this man i was like i'm about to watch fargo no no country for old men like i'm in it you know i was excited for the new cohen brother movie to come out although you know uh, it wasn't both of them it, it was just ethan but i was still excited and and getting myself ready and to watch this film did did disappoint me quite a bit uh it, this is um about Two lesbian friends who are made to go out on the road in a car they don't know is has some weird stuff in it. <laughs> and some very some seemingly bad people are looking for the stuff in the car. And and, you know, I can feel hints, I think, of other Cohen Brother movies um, in here. Like I, I, I feel it. But a lot of it didn't feel original or not necessarily interesting to me. I was looking for this movie to also be funny. Uh, you know, usually a lot of Coen Brothers movies, you laugh a lot. Um, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them, you're made to laugh a lot. A lot of them were black comedies. And this one just wasn't given that. A lot of the jokes weren't hitting. Um, some of the performances weren't hitting or weren't funny like I was hoping they would be. Uh, and, it, and it just winds up being okay uh there's a lot of random stuff happens um in in the film which again you would expect but a lot of that stuff was just not landing uh and by the end of it i was just feeling like dang i I think the cohen's need to stick together what's so interesting uh is is um even if you look at you know joel and ethan's all their movies together i feel like joel is has mainly been the director right like in a lot of like even though they usually write them all together joel was like the main director chair and ethan is also there sometimes in the director chair but joel's like the main director and i feel like i felt that i feel like i could tell like ethan 
of course he knows his way you know, you know throughout a set but i could tell like uh he's probably missing joel's direction in some of these places and so man by by the end of it again i was i was just i was like dang they might need to stick together here i know they're getting up there in age um but yeah i'm i'm like they 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 may they may need to just come back <laughs> and 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 continue to be a duo here um specifically ethan you know i've i've shoot i really like uh uh what, what joel's kind of doing on his own i just don't know about ethan right now so again overall i was i was disappointed was looking for more um and by the end of it it's just okay and you know it is what it is uh so drive away dolls which uh in fact is actually titled originally titled driveway dykes and that the, they, they pay homage to that at the beginning of the movie it's titled driveway dykes that, that was what it was originally called until they changed it but uh this movie i, I liked it I, I i don't think it's mid i you know on my end i actually found it to be pretty good it, it, did, it does not reach the heights of what they've previously done by no means but i didn't expect that either i think that uh really the the, the most endearing elements to this again are what you expect from any coen brothers production you know sort of this offbeat comedy sort of this uh really weird almost heightened reality of just things that happen coincidentally co coincidentally to all of the people involved um and i think that from the time that you meet really the main leads you know both in margaret qualley and, and geraldine vince nathan um they have really good chemistry together now i will say that margaret qualley kind of goes for it with her performance um she she does this real southern this southern accent um she she has a big screen presence a lot of charisma I, I really like her as an actor i don't know if all of her choices necessarily worked for me but i do think that as a unit those two in particular because we are primarily following them um i like mm -hmm. their chemistry because they are playing opposites very very polar opposites but you get to experience this this sort of lesbian road trip comedy um which i think that you kind of see how not only they are in the midst of a precarious position that they certainly did not plan for, and they are being tracked down by very dangerous people, but we also kind of see how their uh, their sexuality develops, how their identity you know develops, their friendship even develops over the course of this of this of this movie. Um, I think my big problem with it though is is that it was actually too short. Like it's it's eighty four minutes, and I think that a little bit more time, not not a ton, but a little bit more time, maybe you know north of ninety minutes could have really serviced the story well just because I think that uh, a few more moments between the main players would have been useful just to develop mm -hmm. even more of a kinship to them. Um, and also, like, there's other star-studded people involved in this movie, uh, Pedro Pascal, Matt Damon. We just don't see enough of them. They're obviously meant to be cameo appearances here, which is fun. I love that they showed up and popped in here. There's also a couple of other surprises, but I, I think it, uh, even a little bit more time would have been nice. Like, even an, an extra scene for Beanie Feldstein, who just goes crazy and does something absolutely ridiculous in this movie, mm -hmm. I would have enjoyed to see. But I think, um, you know, some of the choices that they make from the comedy, I laughed a little bit, um, and I think that I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed at least going on this on this journey with them. I enjoyed the experience. I was never bored by it. Um, but overall, what I would agree with is that um, the, 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 the direction of Joel has always been his strong point. And I think the creative input and the comedy elements has always been Ethan's strong point because he's always writing most of these scripts. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. Joel is writing, but a, lar a large amount of the scripts that they have done have been coming from Ethan. And I think that, you know, they clearly have strengths that just brought together magic. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of see some of the absence of those things when they're not working together. But he's calling back to his previous films. I, I felt a lot of uh, Raising Arizona in this movie. I mm -hmm. felt some of uh, Intolerable Cruelty in this movie as well, um, which, again, you know, I think Intolerable Cruelty is it's kind of another 
mid-level Coen Brothers movie. Some good moments, mm-hmm. some high moments, but not necessarily the greatest moments, but still decent. Um, that's kind of where I fall with this one. I think that there's like some really, really fun stuff that does happen here, and I, I, I love the dynamic, and I love the fact that they can explore um, this sexuality and this relationship between the two and the other people that come in contact, but definitely could have had a little bit more to it, a little bit more juice behind it. Um, what I do find interesting, though, is that uh, much of this film is kind of informed by the relationship of Ethan and Trisha. You know, they have a a very interesting relationship, you know, a non-traditional marriage. You know, they've been married for 20 plus years, but they both have other partners outside of their relationship. Um, Trish is also queer, you know, so they they, they don't operate in, 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 in traditional societal norms. They operate mm-hmm. outside of that. And I think that that's another element that I appreciated about this movie. It felt like a lot of that was injected into this film. And I don't think that yeah. this movie works at all without the perspective of Trisha Cook. Like if she didn't help make this movie, I don't think it works. And I think, you know, even though Ethan is the only credited director name, I think that 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 probably means just as much as Joel being the only credited director name on any of right. the previous movies. Like, okay, yeah, he's the one sole directing credit, but that doesn't exactly. really paint the picture of what the film is. It's always collaborative effort. They always, you know, have multiple people that help bring these productions to life. Uh, but ultimately, despite all of that, I, I thought it was pretty decent. Um, I, I can't wait to see what they hopefully do next together. Um, if they are indeed writing this script and, and developing a new project, but even if not, I'm, I'm fine with them still pursuing other things outside of their, their collaborative relationship. I think that they're both strong enough filmmakers to continue to do things in isolation if they so choose to do so. And then if they ever do reunite and do another film together, then of course here for it. So can't wait to see what they do. Can't wait to see what's next from the Coen brothers, but we will have to see, but folks, those are all of our thoughts on driveway dolls. If you checked out this movie, hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition to talk about our last movie this week, a brand new Netflix film from director Tyler Perry, Mea Culpa. Mr. Malloy, this is Mia Harper. I'd like to meet with you to discuss your case. What the prosecution has is pretty damning. I know that you have an eye for details, so don't leave anything out. She was a goddess. One day I came back and she was gone. So you believe this guy? Desire, why did you do it? I've never seen anything like it. You always go with your gut. Please, this is my life and they're trying to ruin me. You're repping Zaire Malloy. You're damn right. First word, what do you see? Longing. Mia is longing. Mr. Malloy, I am your attorney. I am not your friend. He liked to pull my hair and make me gag. He was sadistic. I'm the type of man loves to see pleasure on my woman's face, not pain. What do you think? If he's not lying, he is a psychopath. Come here. That does not seem appropriate. Your eyes know it's appropriate. Close your eyes. Someone has been covering up evidence in this case. Why would she record this? I don't know, Mia. DNA found in one of your paintings. It's enough to bury your ass. You can do it, don't you lose it. You have no idea who he is. A snake is never violent when stalking their prey. It's only when they get right into striking distance that they become very violent. Come, 
Now, this film is written and directed by Tyler Perry, and it's starring Kelly Rowland and Travante Rhodes. Um, this has gotten a lot of conversation and, and traction lately um, on the <laughs> internet. Uh, Tyler Perry making another film for Netflix. Um, of course, he one of the most powerful media moguls really in Hollywood. He he's often taken uh, he's taken I think an approach to make projects for various outlets. You know, he's done a lot for BET, of course. He's made you know a couple of things for Netflix. He'll still produce something theatrically occasionally. Um, he really kind of, he, he he likes to spread you know his wealth around in terms of the projects that he does. But uh, this is his latest directorial effort for Netflix, and of course has big star power behind it in Kelly Rowland and, of course, Trevante Rhodes, who has uh, been a working actor for, for quite a few years now, really coming to his own with Moonlight and then, of course, all these subsequent roles that he's done. But uh, I did not check this movie out. Um, you did, so I'll just go ahead and pass it over to you. What did you think about this new Tyler Perry film, Mea Copa? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep this short, man. I just think Tyler Perry should be stopped. It's about that time that he he find he, he needs to let other people in the writer's room, bro, or else, you know, this it, it, it's going to keep going down this path and and you know something interesting about about Tyler Perry is that he he does always have an audience like he always has a specific demographic of people who are going to watch his movies and a lot of them are probably going to enjoy it and I understand it and I get that but he does currently I think control part of the gaze for black stories <laughs> um and so it, it it it's starting to get i think a little dangerous because he continues to write by himself and some of these stories are just off the hinges and that's what mia culpa is against this story about uh kelly Rowland, who's a lawyer who's un- who takes a big undertaking of uh trevante rhodes character who was a painter who is said or who's being who has been accused of killing his girlfriend. Uh, I mean, there it's all kind of like they're finding like bone fragments in the pictures he's made and all kind of crazy stuff. And and she is um, and, and it's really about her taking on this case and her and Trevante Rhodes really potentially having some romantic chemistry there, although she's married, not necessarily happily married. They're going through a rough patch, but she's married nonetheless. And, and there's a lot of, of, of in and outs there. Uh, you know, the, the, the synopsis is fine, but the movie goes off the rails. It's just simply not great. The things that I can speak positively to about this film, I think it's shot very well. I think that that's something Tyler Perry Studios is starting to get down very well is they're, they're starting to shoot really good. Tyler Perry is, he's, he, he's, he's getting that down. Um, he's, he's never necessarily been bad behind the camera. Like it, it, it looks really good um and the fashion is fire um mia culpa she does it is kelly Rowland, right i mean one of the most beautiful women alive but she she has all of these kind of uh, uh she almost feels like carrie washington in scandal you know she almost feels like viola davis in uh uh, uh in uh, i don't know why i'm forgetting the name of the show oh, how to get away uh, with murder how to get away with murder she is kind of taking Th- those that persona a little bit in her role and again by the way she dresses and by kind of uh her attitude and the way she, the way she walks and talks but there's nothing for these people to do in this movie uh the writing is too ridiculous um and, and tyler perry does this thing a lot where it's just like oh the first 20 minutes okay we're doing something and then something ridiculous happens that makes no sense a lot of things are incoherent there's plot holes there there's just too much to enjoy what what again the synopsis should have been or the way the story should have played out again this is a story about a lawyer and there's not a courtroom in the whole movie 
There's no courtroom. You don't see a courtroom one time. <laughs> it's so crazy to me. Uh, so yeah, man, I'm just, I, I just wanted to uh, really, usually to be honest, a movie like this, I wouldn't even say we review it, but I wanted to talk about Tyler Perry just has to get some people in these writers rooms. He keeps writing, he keeps writing by himself. Um, and I don't think just because he has an audience that keeps coming back that he's above evolution. And I think that's the, that's the thing I wanted to talk about. Like you can't, be above evolution. You got to get some people to write with you, for you. And we're seeing it across all of his projects, across Sisters on BET, across, you know, a lot of the, and he's been doing this for a long time. And, uh, and a lot of his projects have not turned out crit, uh, at least good critically, or at least critically very well. They haven't turned out that well. And so um, I, I hope he really boggles down and somebody he has a coming to Jesus moment at some point. And he's like, I'm going to get some people to write for me because he's his 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 uh, his studio was too big. His platform is too big. And yeah, I think if you can, you control this big platform of black stories, we should start at least attempting to make these stories good <laughs> and not uh, not just doing them by yourself. So, yeah, man, that's I just wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah, I I have nothing to add about this. Um, I there there's no way somebody could pay me willingly to, to watch a Tyler Perry movie in 2024. Just being honest, um, but I, I I can't I can't even add anything to this. Um, actually, you know what? I lied. You know what? What I will say, not even about Tyler Perry. What is going on with Trevante Rhodes? Um, like this guy's career is not where I think it should be. Like he mm. does Moonlight is definitely a standout. And the projects that he's taken since then, they don't match. Been great. They don't match the, the 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 quality or the esteem of what that project brought to him. I mean, he he had a lot of star power and a lot of wattage around him after that performance in Moonlight. But since then, diminishing returns. So I'm just kind of curious, like what's going on with him? I don't know if he needs a different agent or, or what's happening, but he just feels. He feels like he's losing a lot of his potential and a, and a lot mm-hmm. of, I think, the, the window of of what he had there to be a, a really prominent movie star, a, a, a working actor and and maybe some more prestigious things and working with some really interesting filmmakers. And it just doesn't feel like that that moment is really all that much there anymore. Yeah, he he like you said, I think he needs to find a new agent. I feel bad for Kelly Rowland, too, because like I think this was part of the reason I think this movie is even on the Mac. People are like Kelly Rowland's in a movie. And then it's like, oh, but she's in a Tyler Perry movie. Like, part of me is like, why'd you even take this? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I wish he had some advising there. Like, Kelly Rowland, why'd you take a Tyler Perry movie? And I feel the same way about Trevante Rose. This dude just has a bad agent. Like, he hasn't really been in anything substantial or or, or, or good, man. I mean, it, he's always in, like, titles that you know. Predator, Bird Box. You know, he's always in, like, these movies that people watch, but they're never good they're never like where they should be and so yeah man i think i think he just needs a new agent i think you're you're onto something there um and yeah hopefully whatever comes after this like people people need to understand because i'm i'm hoping the the way this movie is even though it's not good it is still on a pedestal people are talking about it hopefully kelly him and kelly are like somebody's calling them up right now like all right y'all we got something else for you those are my hopes man yeah, high hopes for sure. Um, we will certainly have to see. But, folks, those are all of our thoughts on Maya Copa. If you've checked out the film on Netflix, hit us up and let us know what you think. We're done with our reviews. And that being said, we're going to transition and talk about the SAG Awards, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which took place this past weekend, which, of course, is a precursor or at least another precursor to the Academy Awards, which is going to go down in two weeks. But this is a very much anticipated award show just because of the acting categories that, that are acknowledged across both film and television, um, but also just like the picture that it might paint in terms of the the favorites that might walk away with trophies 
in two weeks' time. But uh, just to quickly run down, you know, some of the big notable stories from from the SAG Awards um, on the television side of things. I think we saw a lot of a lot of what was was you know sort of predicted to be the case. Um, Succession, The Bear. Um, beef all one big. You know, we saw Ali Wong and Stephen Yun both win. Um, for outstandingly performances in in beef, and also Jeremy Allen White, Iowa Debris, both won for the Bear. Um, I will say there was a couple of surprises though. Um, oh yeah, Pedro Pascal won for a uh, outstanding lead actor. Um, in a drama series for The Last of Us, beating out Succession, which you know Succession is cleaned up across most other award shows in terms of the acting categories in particular. We've seen Matthew McFadden win. We've seen Kieran Culkin win. And and oftentimes it's been three or four nominees in one singular category. Brian Cox would be nominated and Jeremy Strong would be nominated. Um, but Jeremy was not even nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award. And Pedro Pascal ended up walking away with the trophy. And he was even shocked himself because he got on stage and he was drunk. He didn't know what to say. He didn't have anything prepared, clearly. Um, and then on the flip side of that, Elizabeth Debicki, one for the crown, which I did not see coming. That was another big surprise, but I'm so she happy for her. I'm, I'm, yeah, she didn't she didn't see it either, but I'm so happy for her. I, I really I love what she does in the crown, and so um, definitely a couple of surprises. Really, kind of I think I think shook the table a little bit on the TV side of things when we've just been so used to seeing Succession, The Bear, Beef. They've just mm-hmm. won everything, and that was the case here. Succession still won outstanding performance by by an ensemble cast, the biggest award that they can win at the SAG Awards. Um, same thing for the Bear Ensemble for a comedy series. So they all still won big, but there were were definitely a couple of surprises. So um, just any notable call outs for you from from the TV categories and the and the big winners from from any of those uh, respective respective categories. No, man, I think that was really, you know, the big thing was that Elizabeth Debicki um, and, and, uh, <laughs> and the way Pedro Pascal was just like, huh? <laughs> I mean, he got on stage, his shirt was open, he told everybody he was drunk, like, <laughs> he literally was not expecting to win that award and i just i just love the comedy behind it and how surprised he was his, his, his personality really really showed through winning that award um it was really it was pretty enjoyable to watch uh but yeah man that was that was that was kind of some some like beyond that everything was pretty predictable and what we had seen but that really like kind of changed the dynamic of the night for me it was like whoa whoa what is this what's going on and then again it, it, it was funny um in in uh another just quick call out the because it was on Netflix they had like those they didn't have commercials but instead they had the interviewer asking people questions I think that was a really nice touch man it was really cool for uh I forgot his name he was a really good interviewer too though um but he was he Io at a uh, would like come off the stage and he would ask her like what do you think about Jamie Allen White did you expect to win this I really like that touch um on the show man but yeah other than other than that it was it was a pretty straightforward show. Yeah, uh, the best part about Pedro winning it, I mean, the the stuff on stage was funny, but but the even the, the even funnier element to it is is this uh, this friendly rivalry between him and Kieran Culkin. You know, they constantly mm-hmm. call each other out every time because Kieran has been winning almost everything, and you know he he talks shit to Pedro, and obviously they know each other; they're very friendly. Um, but that that continues um, into the SAG Awards, and so it, it was nice to see that. Um, but moving on to the movies um, again, which was you know kind of I think where a lot of the attention was paid. Um, again, just largely due to the fact that this this could potentially 
potentially, you know, shape what we might see or or, you know, maybe maybe also trick us into believing things that might not necessarily turn out to be true in a couple of weeks. But um, be that as it may, Oppenheimer, of course, wins big, took away three awards um, and won the biggest award the night. Um, outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. Um, also, Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy won for their acting categories. Um, on the opposite side of things, Davon Joy Randolph won again for supporting actress um, for her role in The Holdovers. She's pretty much been winning everything up until this point. Um, and then Lily Gladstone really stood out here and won uh, Best Lead Performance by a Female Actor for the work that she did in Killers of the Flower Moon. Also just want to call out Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which won an outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble. Um, that's another big award. And so they they got a pre-show award before the main uh, telecast on Netflix. But um, it, it, it's interesting here. I mean, Oppenheimer, of course, you know, I think the front runner in, in most of the categories that we're seeing develop here, not only this show, but other shows that we've seen. But um, even as we think about the acting categories, which up until this point, for a couple of them, it's been a foregone conclusion. I think in the case of David Joy Randolph and Robert Downey Jr., like pretty foregone conclusion. Um, but for the lead categories, there's been this back and forth converse, conversation in both. You know, mm-hmm. female actor, the two front runners, Emma, Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone, were pretty much you know locked in as two front runners. And very similarly for the movie categories, uh, Killian Murphy and, and Paul Giamatti for his work in the Holdovers have been the front runners. But uh, now, now we see maybe some clear emerging victors potentially um, in the case of Killian Murphy. And, and Lily Gladstone. So any thoughts on the acting categories in particular amongst those four that walked away with trophies? Uh man, no. Uh the what's 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 so interesting is these are again pretty expected. Um I I think re- whether it's Killian Murphy or Paul Giamatti, I think they're both deserving. You know, these are this is one of those times where it's like both front runners make sense to me. Um and, and same goes with Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. I think what Oh man, Lily Gladstone. I do want to call her out real quick. She has amazing speeches. It's different every time. <laughs> like she's never giving the same kind of speech uh and and always killing her speeches. But again, whether I think who whoever wins those four in in, in uh, upcoming uh Academy Awards, man, I think I'm going to be happy regardless. And, and part of me does want to of course Lily Gladstone make history, but also it's like, "Hey, what speech are you going to give?" <laughs> At the Academy Awards, you know, that might be different from what you already gave. So, yeah, not not not, not too many thoughts. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty happy across the board. Um, I have no doubt she's she's saving the best for last if, if she does indeed win. But, um, you know what? That, that's the, the, it, could be, it could be a dangerous game because you don't know if you're going to win. So you don't yeah. want to you don't want to hold back mm-hmm. your best speech in case you might not end up walking away with the trophy. But uh, be that as it may, um, I think. Davon Joy Randolph and her speech was phenomenal. I love that she writes her speeches. She's prepped and, and prepared. I, I think more people should probably write speeches. Even if you don't think you got a shot, you never really know, as we saw with Pedro and Elizabeth. Like you you could always have a chance, you know. So mm-hmm. it might it might be nice to at least have some bullet points ready. You don't have to have a fully written diatribe yeah. if, if it's not been in your favor, but maybe a couple of bullet points to just guide you. Um I love the fact that she just gets up there, whips out a piece of paper and she reads. Like that that's yeah. that's that's the best to me. She gets to the point. She thanks who she needs to thank. And she always leaves with a very inspirational message and talks about how, you know, one job away can change your life. One one gig can change everything 
everything for you. And that's what people need to hear, especially post strikes, you know, the biggest strikes that, that, that have ever mm-hmm. occurred in the history of Hollywood taking place over the course of the past year. So many people lost so much stuff, jobs, homes, whatever the case may be. It was a really tough year. And so I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that she's taking that opportunity and that platform to really kind of big up that, 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 that aspect that she's grateful. This all happened really overnight for her. things have changed just so drastically and she's not taking anything for granted. Um, I love her. Robert Downey Jr. Also, I liked his speech a lot because he kept it short and sweet, but I liked what he did. He, he thanked all of the respective actors, not all of them, but a lot of the respected actors that he's worked with that he felt like he learned something from. Like he was just listing off people's names and I felt like I was like running through his IMDb in my mind. He, he brought up Val Kilmer and Jamie Foxx and all mm-hmm. these people that he's, you know, made movies with. And I'm like, yo, that's actually kind of crazy. Like he's worked with the best of the best. And now after all of the success he's accumulated, he can really he's sort of, he, he can ride out this, 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 this last, you know, sort of wave of success in terms of him being in the spotlight. That's not to say he's going to go away. Obviously he's not, but this is kind of the culmination of just almost 40 years of work for him and just him being you know indebted in this industry and i just love like his difference in speeches as well because he's not doing the same thing every single time Mm -hmm. either uh but he's always he's always him he's always robert downey and he's always i mean the guy is like really tony stark in real life like he really is he's not playing a character (laughs) like that's truly him and people can tell he's the man of the hour um, and he also got like the, 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 the most grand introduction at the, uh, the Academy class photo. He was the last person that they introduced and it was a big moment, you know, where everybody kind of welcomed him to that class photo. So great stuff there. Um, really excited for Lily Gladstone. That was a touching and emotional moment. And of course, Killian Murphy also just like a workhorse, um, you know, whether it's him or Paul Giamatti again, they, they are both super deserving. Um, and this is a great year for, for the categories. Like it, it's, it's a, great. it's a pretty stacked year. Like you have some mm-hmm great performances across the board really respected names new faces that we haven't seen here before i think it's a it's a it's a tremendous amount of diversity not just the the, the ethnicity of the people yeah that, that, that's, that's one thing but like in the work <laughs> yeah. and the showcasing of the work and mm-hmm. and the experiences in hollywood like you got the seasoned vet and robert downey jr but then you got the guy who's never really had an opportunity to lead in killian murphy you know now being at the forefront um lily gladstone who's been working for you know a, a little bit now but she's now coming into her own as an actress like this this is really i think just taking up um, a, a really well-rounded group of actors, you know, in particular for, for this award season. So I'm just happy to see that across the board. Um, last thing I'll ask you, you kind of touched on it. You know, this was the first time I think Netflix ever telecast an award show live on their platform. Um, so a little bit experimental in nature. Um, award shows, by and large, are kind of irrelevant these days in terms of mm-hmm. viewership. Most people don't watch them, if we're just being honest. Um, and I think award shows have often struggled to figure out, like, their place in in, in modern-day society. They the, the ratings just can't compete with the other live juggernauts like football or basketball. Like they, they just can't compete with that. The the, the, the level of, of uh, relevance isn't there anymore. Although, you know, over the past couple of years, we've seen increases. You know, things have slowly upticked a little bit. Like the Grammys, they got some some good viewership this year, increased over last year. The Oscars, same thing. Golden Globes. The numbers are, are slowly getting up, but they're not matching what they used to, you know, sort mm-hmm. of in, in, in the pre-streaming boom. So how did you feel about this transition? The fact that SAG was kind of the first to take this chance to have a live telecast on Netflix and could this potentially, you know, influence maybe some other shows, other companies to to, to take a similar route? Yeah, I, I actually welcome the idea a lot. Um, you know, the SAGs are not even the three shows that you just said that you said were under. They're not the Oscars, the Academy or they're not the Academy Awards, the Grammys or the Golden Globes. They're the SAGs have, you know, uh, uh, people have never watched them as much as as those. But on a on a, a, a platform like Netflix, where that's all over the world and say you just click on Netflix and you're like SAG Awards you know what I mean you, and people don't watch it it's like oh this is a crazy place I think to put it, it almost markets 
itself after that you don't really have to say too much just put it on netflix and it kind of works and i love that idea um and i think even somebody in the show was like yeah we're on we're on netflix and so people all around the world get to see this and i i I didn't really think about that because we do normally on like abc and cbs very american networks versus here is like netflix is worldwide like it's not really you know they cater kind of to everybody so i love that reach i love the idea that people from all over the world if netflix is there they can watch the sag awards i thought that was a really really cool touch um and again I also like how they can be a little bit more explicit where like <laughs> I, uh, 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 they was up there cussing. It was crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, what? <laughs> just say fuck. There, there's no limitations. Was, we can just yeah, say it fuck. was like <laughs> ridiculous. Man. They were like, oh, yeah, we're on Netflix. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. We are on Netflix. So I, I, I kind of love that touch, too. And the last thing I'll say, I actually like the way it was uh, the, the camera work. I was like, I turned and I don't know why. But I was like, this looks really good. <laughs> like, I, I remember turning turn to it and clicking on it. I was like, dang, this looks pretty fire like this is a this is some pretty good camera work everything looks really professional and so i, I was really happy about it like to me it looks better than golden globes you know what i'm saying i was like dang this looks good um so yeah I was, I was pretty happy with the experiment um i don't know what the numbers are hopefully they're good enough for for other people to follow suit man yeah and you know people weren't tripping over each other like they were at the golden globes like they're man they knew where just, the stage was just ridiculous like yeah let's let's just get up walk through the table walk down the aisle boom <laughs> you know we're, we're at the stage it wasn't this really complex configuration uh i thought it was a good production man i think i think that they did they did what they needed to do um it's weird that it's taken this long for this to happen like yeah it, i mean like netflix has been here netflix has obviously been the forefront and the leader in the streaming space and so the fact that like these other shows haven't considered really you know leaning into netflix even more to have that worldwide global reach is interesting but i know you know contracts at play you know they have these relationships with net- networks like obviously the oscars i mean they just re-upped with abc not too long ago they're going to be on there i think until maybe 2027 um through the hundredth i don't know um but it, it, it it's gonna definitely i think uh it's going to really influence, I think, just like the future of these these shows, because, you know, they have to do something like they, they can't they can't suffer these losses in the way that they have over the past decade or so. Mm-hmm. And just expect that things are going to, you know, magically all of a sudden, you know, create upticks year over year. Of course, you have to have really compelling movies and, and interesting narratives and star power. All of that helps. Um, but also just the distribution is, is changing. It's changing drastically. And so um, I think as we move into the, the next phase of this, it'll be interesting to see if there's other partnerships that strike up. Um, of course, Golden Globes are going to have to look for a new home um, moving into the future. Um, they've leveraged Paramount Plus, but they're going to have to find, I think, a new network moving into the future. So that'll be interesting. And, and the Grammys with CBS are probably not going to let that go anytime soon. But there's no um, yeah. there, 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 there's there's opportunities out there. There's other shows as well, you know, that, that they can consider, you know, People's Choice, all these other things. And so we'll have to see we'll have to see what the future of streaming plus award shows and, and live telecast looks like uh but we'll see in, in in next week's time we're gonna give our final predictions for the oscars and really run down every single category so be on the lookout for that of course this show and other shows that have happened up until this point will uh will certainly play into the conversation so we'll be back next week to talk through that um but with that being said let's transition talk about a couple of big news items that have uh that have happened over the course of the past few weeks actually this is something that i've been meaning for us to get to and talk about but uh disney recently had one of their uh their their latest quarterly earnings calls um they talked about some upcoming release dates of some very very big properties that'll be coming back coming out over the next couple of years um but before we get to those and and talk about those i want to talk about something that's going to come out this year because we haven't talked about it yet but Moana 2 is coming to theaters this November. Now, I don't know how many people know this, but in 2020, they announced that a Moana TV series was being developed for Disney+. And so that was the plan for 
the past few years, but at some point in that development, the powers that be, I'm sure the folks at Disney, likely Bob Iger, and maybe even Dwayne The Rock Johnson himself, you know, they probably <laughs> looked at what they had and said, uh, what are we doing? This should probably be in theaters, and uh, they have pivoted, um, and they have now taken up the November 27th release date. Of course, that is the traditional Thanksgiving weekend that Disney always likes to have, but it's also going to be interesting because they're going to go directly head to head with Wicked. That's going to come out that exact same day this year. So uh, I'll get to the, that 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 part in a second and ask you a question. But uh, before we do that, like, what do you think about Moana two now becoming a theatrical movie, a, a true follow up sequel to that smash hit success of of, of the twenty sixteen film, as opposed to a streaming series on Disney Plus? I mean, yeah, money wise, it makes sense, man. Moana is part of that weird twenty tens. Disney Renaissance, they decided to go on with Big Hero 6 and Zootopia, and they were just going crazy for a little bit there. Um, in 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 hearing, uh, I think the the weird thing is everybody just caught off guard that there's a Moana 2 coming out, you know what I mean? Like that switch from TV show to movie, everyone's like, huh? Like, usually we would know, I feel like more, even more ahead of time, what was happening, but here, everyone was just like, this year, <laughs> Moana 2, what is this? I know I was a part of that camp. I was like, what is happening? Where did this come from? Um, so that's the biggest surprise there. But what's not surprising is putting, again, one of your biggest movies that is a part of that, again, Fire 2010's Disney run that they kind of had and making it a sequel and putting it in theaters. I think it makes sense, uh, especially we've talked at length how down Disney is right now. They need to get some butts and seats. And I think Moana 2 um, is going hopefully is the beginning of that. I don't I, I know a lot of people who love that movie. Uh, I've bought nieces and nephews toys for Moana. It's a really a big deal. Um, so I think it'll be a, a, a decent showing for Moana 2. And I think, again, money wise, at least it's a good play. Oh, it's going to be more than decent. Uh, Moana has been their biggest streaming success for the past like three years uninterrupted every People single still year. still clicking on it. <laughs> it's at the top of the charts literally every single year for, for a movie that's on streaming. I mean, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous how the movie has grown really in stature since it's come out. Like, And that's not to say that Moana 1 wasn't successful. It absolutely was. It made like over $500 million at the global box office when it released in 2016. Huge success for an original property. But since then... The reputation has has largely grown. That's why they've mm -hmm. greenlit this live action reimagining that's also going to come out at some point in the future. Um, and now they're doing this true follow up sequel as opposed to a Disney Plus series. And and overall, this is no surprise, really, if you think about it. This is the shifting ideology of the company because Bob Iger is now back in charge. And we know that Bob Chapek, when he was CEO, when Bob Iger stepped away, he was all about streaming. He was all about Disney Plus. We've talked about it at length with the, the 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 oversaturation of many of their different properties like Marvel and Star Wars and just how things were were kind of coming off the hinges. And it's it was all of a sudden a reduction in theatrical quality, which I think really just took shape in 2023. We saw one of their worst years in a really long time in 2023. And Bob Iger is back and he's not playing. He's like, uh, no, we're making money. We're making <laughs> movies, people. We're getting you to the theater because, hey, guess what? If we make good movies for theaters, won't they perform well on streaming? Uh, yeah, obviously they will. So why are we doing it the other way? So it's yeah. not really a surprise. I think that the surprising point that you mentioned is the fact that it is happening so quickly. The movie's going to so be quick. out this year. But uh, I feel like they've been sitting on this decision for a while. They just decided mm -hmm. to announce it. Um, they probably had to cut The Rock a lot more money because it's going to be a movie in theaters. And they, <laughs> they probably have to do a lot of work to get it ready because I'm sure like you, you can't construct a television show and just put it into theaters, you know, as Demon Slayer. You got to do something different. They got to make it theatrical. Right. And so they, they 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 certainly have their work cut out for them to meet that release date. But I have no doubt that it's going to be 
not only wildly successful, but I think it'll be good too. I think it's going to be I a good so. follow up because that first movie is like really, really amazing. Um, what I wanted to ask you, head to head on with Wicked, November twenty seventh this year. Uh, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. Um, typically, I think you would see polar opposite films come out that weekend. You might get a you might get a Moana and then a horror movie. I mean, last year we got mm. Wish and we got Thanksgiving. Like those are going to be yeah. two completely different audiences. Wicked and Moana feels like a lot of overlap young girls teenage girls like there's going to be a ton of overlap in those audiences do you foresee wicked moving because moana not moving they would have they would have picked another date if they were not going to fall on thanksgiving that's their date uh but wicked was their first do you do you perhaps see them maybe moving and budging or do you think we're going to going to get a showdown this coming thanksgiving i think wicked might have to move bro i don't i just i i they gotta move. I think that it that just has to be. And if they don't move, they're in for a rude awakening. I think. I think they have to move. Um, maybe maybe a couple weeks after, make it make make Wicked a Christmas release. You know, something else. Just it was don't. supposed to be a Christmas release initially, I, they and then they moved it up back. and took the slide. Yeah, yeah they so. might have to go back to that Christmas release, bro. Because you're yeah. not you're not Moana's too 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 big of a power, and you're not you're not getting over Moana. So I I, I think Wicked's gonna. I think they're gonna move. That's what I think yeah. gonna happen. I think they will, too. I think uh, Donna Langley and Universal, they're smart. They're really smart. And I think that they've accumulated so much success over the past few years. I think they're going to move it. Um, they're going to go back to December, which, you know, at this point, 2024 is a goddamn wasteland. Everything has been moved out of this year. And so uh, they'll have a wide open space, I think, in December. Wicked could do what Wonka just did this past year. Wonka has exactly. just crossed $600 million worldwide. And mm-hmm. Wicked, I, I see no reason why that can't be a super successful musical adaptation. Well-known property, well-known IP, star power in front of it. Ariana Grande, huge star. Like you got the people involved that that, that that you need to make it successful. Also, John Chu, like he he's he's adept at making that type of movie. So I think it's going to be solid. Hopefully, I think it'll be good. Um, but if they want to maximize their success, they should probably move off of that date. Let Moana cook for a couple of weeks. Come out early December. Reap all the benefits of that, and so we'll see. Um, but in addition to that, Disney has uh. They've gone ahead and planted their flag for the next few years. Um, Lord you know, Jesus. 2025 is going to be big, but 2026 is going to be really, really big as well. Um, again, to the to the shifting ideology that's happening over there, Bob Iger is all about he's all about the movies. He's all about the theaters, which I think is the right choice. I think I think that that's the way to go. Like that's what they need to be doing. Um, look at the stock price; it's only risen since he's gotten mm-hmm. back, but. Um, it feels like that in 2026, they might be trying to replicate the success of what they achieved in 2019. You know, 2019 <laughs> was an unparalleled year for Disney. I think that they, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $11 billion globally at the box office from them alone. Um, I don't think we'll ever see that again. It's just like they had everything Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Frozen 2, Toy Story crazy. 4, it Maleficent. Crazy. It was, I mean, you just will never get that convergence of big properties, big IP at the same time, really ever again. Um, so I, I just don't even see anybody coming close to that. But they're going to fucking try because Frozen 3 is dated for 2026, Toy Story 5 is dated for 2026. And we cannot forget that The Mandalorian and Grogu is also set to be released in 2026. In fact, they're starting production very soon on that movie in L.A. It's going to be starting in a couple of months for a 2026 release. Um, Before all of that, Zootopia 2 has also been dated for November 26th of 2025. So it's going to round out that Thanksgiving holiday next holiday season. But uh, going into 2026, it's going to be a stacked year. Um, There's also presumably an Avengers film that's supposed to drop that year as well. So... 
How do you feel about this? How do you feel about just like the potentially stacked year that we're looking at in a couple of years here? And also the fact that they're once again returning to these tried and true properties. I mean, we, we did discuss this when when Bob Iger mm-hmm. first spoke about it, but now it's happening. Frozen 3 is happening. Toy Story 5 is happening. Zootopia 2 is happening. How do you feel about all these sequels and all these returns uh, to, to, to franchises and well-known IP? Yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, they should be doing movies of course right like this is exactly what should be happening i think my my only concern is we are doing like even though butts were in seats for these movies i know me personally i'm like dang why i gotta be these like why are these the sequels we're doing first of all frozen 2 is not it bro i do not like like it's far from it it's it's just not it it's not a good movie and we're doing frozen 3 and it's like uh like uh i mean i it's it so that's like the definition to me of a cash grab like that of course that's exactly what it is at least like zootopia coming out in 2025 at least it's like oh we let, let's tell another iteration of the story more people want to want to see some more story for zootopia frozen is like dang we've been here toy story 4 was already a stretch and we're going to toy story 5 like we can't and, and i feel like we got lucky with toy story 4 too toy story 4 is good toy story 4 is good and I feel, but I feel like we got lucky. Are we, it could have been a really, disaster for sure. We're really gambling again, again. I, I just, it's, it's scary territory, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I wish one of the, I wish instead of Frozen, we got Incredibles. Like I would rather have him said Incredibles three. I think people are looking for that way more. Like age, Jack, Jack, and Violet, and age. You know, your cast a little bit. And you might have something different. Man, but Frozen and Toy Story, I'm a, I'm a little sad about it. Um, I think they'll do amazing. In the, like, we can't not go see these movies. I think that's the thing that is going to be like, yeah, they're going to make money. But I think from a story standpoint, it's a little disappointing. Um, I'm excited for the year, though. I think 2026. I'm excited for the excitement. You know, I feel like the Toy Story 5 trailer is going to come out. I'm sure it'll be a good trailer you know what I, mean? I feel like people will be excited to go see these movies but i think again it's just a little disappointment disappointing on the story side of the movies that we're actually getting but i think i think uh, uh the movies hopefully the movies this again the movies have been healing for a while um and and, and hopefully this is like uh uh this is like again another stamp of like yes the movies are back uh again it's just sad that the, it has to be them i wish we were weaving either either to some more uh, some other properties that or some other sequels that we would look forward to a little bit more or some other maybe more interesting originals in there like they that they you know somebody already came up with throw that on the calendar somewhere and of course that could happen still but I think they're going to be focusing on these so much that we won't get too much of that and I think that's a little disappointing too yeah I agree you know creatively I wouldn't necessarily be the first to say like I want to see Toy Story 5 or Frozen yeah. 3 like I'm not in that camp but you know, the reality is that these these are franchise locomotives that power mm-hmm. their business at the end of the day. Uh, you know, they tried to do something different to, with Toy Story and, and Lightyear was it was a big flop. We just got to be honest about it. It wasn't a great movie and also it didn't perform well. You know, so people didn't want to see Buzz Lightyear out of context, you know, doing mm-hmm. doing a, a human emotional story. They want to see fucking Buzz and Woody. They want to see the toys. Um and and for for the for the young generation of kids and the next generation like they all want to see it and I get it. You know, I, I can't I can't be mad at it. You know, the reality is I am not the target demographic for any of the shit. You know, I still enjoy Ooh. them. I still go to the movies to see them, but they're not making this for me. They're making it for, you know, our nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and, and kids and all of that stuff. You know, that's the reality of it. And so it was it was inevitable. And I think, you know, now that Bob Iger is back, he was always going to be the guy to say like, "Uh, 
what the fuck are we doing with all of these Disney Plus shows? Why is Monsters, Inc. on Disney Plus? Like, what are we doing? This needs to be in theaters. Um, I do find it interesting, though, because he's he said some some, you know, hypocritical statements. I remember when he first got back into power. He was talking about Marvel in particular, saying like, you know, maybe, maybe we don't need to do a third or fourth entry of, of certain heroes. Do we need a Thor five? And it's like, yeah, I agree with you. Maybe we don't need four or five Thor movies. But now we have five, you know, Toy Story <laughs> movies. We're getting three Frozen movies. It's like you just said that we didn't really need all these things. But now you're talking about that. Oh, we have to return to the fr- franchises that deliver and perform for us. Like pick a side, bro. Obviously, the side that wins that's going to win the day is is what we're what we're going towards. But uh. You know, at at the end of the day, at at the end of it all, um, if the movies are good, if they can manage to be good, then all of my feelings about this will be wiped away. I'll I'll sit there and enjoy it and eat my words gladly. I want to see a great Toy Story movie. If they can fucking pull it off a fifth time, um, I I I, I I I can't do anything but tip my hat to you. But we we are treading on some tricky waters because four. Not fantastic, but good enough to say, like, exactly. all right, I'm still cool. I'm still cool mm-hmm. that they ended this way, but you know, three was really I mean, it, it don't get no better than three, but you know, that's 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 Hollywood at the end of the day. Um the, the the next news item that we should talk about is on the other side of town with Warner Brothers Discovery, um, Joker Two. Done filming, you know, they are about to I think in a few months here enter in their into their promotional run, their promotional stage for the movie. It's slated to come out this October. Um, and, and, and a new report from Variety has uh, revealed allegedly what the budget of the movie is, which is reportedly sitting at $200 million. Now, that's typically normal for tentpole franchise blockbuster films like that. That has kind of become commonplace. But what's most interesting is the fact that the first film's budget, Joker, that came out in 2019, it was only $60 million and then went on to be the highest grossing rated R movie of all time, made over a billion dollars at the box office. Um, so this is a pretty significant increase from movie to movie. We're seeing a $60 million budget for the first one transition into a $200 million budget for the second one. Um, Variety also revealed that reportedly Joaquin Phoenix is going to be receiving $20 million of that, and Lady Gaga for her salary is going to be receiving $12 million. So hefty paydays for those for those two, but um, you know, also Todd Phillips, I'm sure, is going to get paid a ton of money, um, and, and a lot left of the of the budget is going to be, you know, sort of allocated for production. So um, big budget changes here, and uh, definitely going to create a more challenging prospect for the box office potential of this movie because now that it mm-hmm. it costs more, now the pressure's really on to make as much money as you can as opposed to that first one which had a really low budget you know the expectations were kind of non-existent because even if you made 300 million dollars that's a huge success for a 60 million dollar budgeted movie so how do you feel about this change just the the larger scope the bigger budget and, and potentially what it might mean for the box office come this october yeah you know uh hearing hearing about the budget i was pretty worried at first i was like 200 mil are we losing sight of what made joker good <laughs> like i was like ah 200 like what what is going on here? Um, and I still, I still have those worries. I think, uh, like, part of me can't imagine we capture the essence of that of that first Joker. I know there's there's more to this one, right? We got the musical part of it. We got Harley Quinn now. There is more to it, but uh, part part of it, it it worries me as as an intimate story. I think that's one of the things that made Joker so good too was how close we were just following Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. You know what I'm saying? It was like the movie, and now I'm like, 200 mil is just so crazy. Like, what are we doing? in this movie to for for us to blow up like this and so of course we have to see it come out but i definitely still have my worries one thing i will give i think what could make it 
this movie uh, raised the expectations is the Lady Gaga factor. I think that may be, you know, kind of undercut. Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn is going to get some butts in seats. Um, some, some, a lot of Lady Gaga fans out there. She has a lot of star power. And I think I think that that alone will de- a lot of people will definitely uh, uh, that will raise the expectations of the film. So that's kind of the, what I'm weighing right now was those two things. Part of me is like, yeah, this budget is I don't know what we're doing here. And the other part of me is like, I think it'll still make money. You know what I mean? I think uh, there people people will still uh, go out to see this film. So, yeah, it's it's really a mixed bag for me. And, and I'll have to see how it turns out. But, yeah, man, it's it's, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah, um, I can't say I'm terribly surprised. This is often the case with super successful movies. I mean, just the expectations, the scope, everything increases. The the the, the salaries, mm-hmm. I mean, all of that stuff, it goes up. Um, that's just the nature of the business. Similar situation with Deadpool. You know, I think that first Deadpool costs like mm-hmm. sixty million. True. The second one, I don't think it cost two hundred, but it was definitely like north of one fifty. So. You know, you have to you you have you, you have to up the ante and up the scale, but it does it does paint you know somewhat of a concern because it does I think signal to what you just said like have they have they learned the wrong lessons from that first movie? Have they taken mm-hmm. away the wrong takeaways and what made that one so special? Because it was such a character study. It wasn't about yeah, spectacle. Exactly. It wasn't about any of that extra CGI you know spectacle late and shit that we typically see in blockbusters. Like it was truly just the performance, one man and just watching him unravel and become the Joker and become that character and transform. Um, you know, also a lot of the discourse around the movie certainly helped the performance of it. For I sure. mean, that was a whole, mm-hmm. it was a whole thing. Fucking security guards at the theater. Like, what the fuck was that? Like it was a, whole, it was a whole thing. <laughs> I don't think we're replicating that at all for this movie. I don't even think mm-hmm. this movie is going to get anywhere close to a billion, but it could still be a success. But when you have a $200 million budget, now you're putting more pressure on yourself to perform, you know, at high mm-hmm. levels. And so you kind of need, at least 600 you know you need at least 600 to be good to be okay to say like okay we didn't lose money here that's still a lot of money to make on a sequel that doesn't have as much interest doesn't have as much curiosity the one thing that is working forward to your point is the fact that lady gaga is going to be in it that's a new interesting element um a new interesting introduction and and hopefully her and the chemistry with joaquin can be enough to make it one a great movie but also a great movie that people want to see um i just think that you know joker as a property like 200 million like that that costs more money than the batman if i'm not mistaken matt reeves like it might cost more than that no um way. maybe you can verify that i might be off but i feel like that that costs more than that uh, movie. batman was 185 to 200 so the same now it's like really is that is is that the case like i, I don't know if i would have <laughs> put that on my bingo card that those would be similarly budgeted movies i mean joker obviously hugely popular but that is that is saying something you know so um yeah warner brothers taking a gamble here obviously but i i think that it's somewhat of a calculated gamble just considering the pedigree of the talent the actors and of course what that first film did but we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep our eyes closely on this one because uh it'll be interesting to see how the performance of this movie fares in comparison to that first one especially considering the discourse around superhero adjacent or superhero films as of late especially on the side of dc this is the last dc movie we're getting before james gunn resets everything so this is kind of like our last litmus test to see like okay are people interested at all in this shit anymore or is Mm -hmm. it just completely bottomed down we need a fresh reset we will see this october but uh folks those are all of our thoughts on the news of the week all these updates if you have any thoughts or opinions hit us up and let us know what you think And with that being said, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you all again for tuning in 
to another podcast. We will, of course, be back next week because we have to talk about Dune Part 2. It is finally coming out this weekend, the brand new film from Denis Villeneuve, his follow-up to the successful 2021 film Dune. We're going to go check out Dune Part 2 this coming weekend. We're also going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender, one of the most yes, successful and critically acclaimed animated shows, which is now on Netflix in live action. We're going to come and talk about that series, all eight episodes that just premiered on Netflix. And we will, of course, give our final predictions for the 96th Academy Awards, which is going to take place in two weeks. And so by this time next week, we got to give our, give our rundown for all 23 categories and who the winners are going to be come Oscar night in a couple of weeks' time. So plenty to look forward to in next week's episode. Until then, we will see y'all next time next week's episode finna be a banger y'all better y'all better pull up all right <laughs> yes sir we are audi 5000 please check out our nerds and mischief collection at twoblacknerds.com and remember always bet on black i appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all Peace. i just need your light of my business never no problem playing no bitches never no problem spraying no witnesses no case